Uh, that was almost dangerous there at the end. Uh, I paid Robert to say nice things about me, so that's good. He'll get that later. Uh, yeah, I'm really excited to be here today, man. Let me, let me say this. In the last 10 months that uh, my wife Carly and I have been here, we've had the joy to work with students directly and to work with a lot of you through our ministry with students. So let me say this. I love this place. We've loved making this place home, and there are some great people here, generous people who love the Lord and want to make him known. So I'm excited to talk about what we're talking about today. Uh, today's a continuation of a series we started a few weeks ago called Questions Jesus Asked. And today's question is, what are you arguing about? Last week, Robert asked the question, do you want to get well? Which, as we've heard throughout this week, has been great for so many of us as we've heard responses of how things have gone. But we're going to lead right in to this. Uh, a couple things happen usually when student pastors preach. One of them is that uh, I'm going to tell a few jokes that you won't get. I'm going to try not to do that one. You know, I say the hip things that the kids say nowadays. And uh, two, usually we get out early. So there you go. Hey, look out for that one. So uh, there we go. I'm going to be your favorite person because I'm going to get you out early. I know the Masters is going on. Whatever, we're going to get you there by the time that people who, you know, are great at golf are playing golf. Um, there you go. So let's do that. Uh, today, we are uh, looking at a passage in Mark chapter 9. Mark 9, if you brought a Bible on your own. If you need a Bible, there is a black ESV in front of the study, in front of the pew in front of you. Um, Robert calls it a study Bible, so grab that if you need a Bible. It's on page 845 there. Uh, we're looking at Mark chapter 9, answering the question that Jesus asked, what are you arguing about? It's on the screen if you need it. Here we go. And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve, Jesus called the disciples, and he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And then he took a child and put him in the midst of them, and taking him in his arms, Jesus said to them, whoever receives one such a child in my name receives me and whoever receives me, receives not only me, but him who sent me. So context for this, Jesus and his disciples, right? Jesus called these guys who lived regular, ordinary lives. Lots of them had uh, traditional jobs. A few were fishermen, a couple were uh, tax collectors. One was a, a political uh, activist, a zealot of sorts. Jesus called these guys out of the life that they lived and he called them to follow him. These guys, in the time that they'd been with Jesus, at the time that this interaction happened, had been with Jesus for a while. They had seen pretty incredible things. Capernaum was the place that was kind of home base for them. So the disciples were with Jesus in a comfortable environment, and they were going back from seeing incredible things, incredible things like this. They'd seen multiple people healed. Most recently, someone healed of sight, of being blind, giving their sight back. He saw Jesus, they saw Jesus feed thousands of people with just a few fish and a few loaves. They saw Jesus cast demons out of people, and they saw an event that we call the transfiguration, which was a confirmation of who Jesus said he was, that he was indeed the Son of God who came to do what he said he was going to do. So the disciples had been a part of some really incredible things, and like most of us, whenever we have life experiences, we want to know where we line up right? Where we are in line. Like, am I the best? Am I the second best? Am I the third best? For the sense of notoriety and accomplishment and love and success in the eyes of their peers and in people. See, in Jesus's day, there were people who came before him who were claiming to be Messiah, who were claiming to be the ones who were going to deliver their people. Deliver their people from what? Deliver their people from sin and restore a right relationship with God and deliver their people from the oppressive Roman Empire. 
So there were false messiah who came before Jesus and they said, I'm it, this is me, I'm the guy. And time and time again, they weren't. But these guys knew because of what they'd seen that Jesus was it. So like they'd seen so many people before them fall flat on their face when they trusted in this, this guy who was ultimately a human who time and time again failed as a false messiah in all of the different manifestations. Jesus comes and he's the real deal. So they want to know, like so many of us, what they get in return. Now, they had a different picture of a Messiah. They wanted a, a political a reformer, someone who's going to take the kingdom back and give it to them. And they were going to get riches and notoriety. And those are the things that we want, right? We live in America, the land of the free and the home of the brave, right? We're the leader of free enterprise. We get to write our own destiny here. Most of us do. The time that we put into things, we usually receive things as a reward. We build careers and we build families and we build notoriety in communities. We want people to love us and to respect us. And that's how we define our success, our worth, and our purpose. Not to unlike the disciples who were status-seeking they wanted to know, Jesus, I've given you my life. I left everything. What do I get? And Jesus turns their world upside down. He tells them that the greatest will be the least, that the first will be the last and be the servant of all. Now, uh, throughout the week, a staff member who will be unnamed has been prodding me to use this line, which is a great line of Americana, don't watch this movie if you haven't seen this movie, but as Ricky Bobby says in Talladega Nights, right, Will Ferrell, the great 21st century philosopher, if you ain't first, you're last, right? We live in a world that says, go, be the best, do the most, you're the guy, you're in charge of your own destiny, it doesn't matter what it takes, who you have to go through, relationships you have to sever, things you have to do that don't honor who Jesus is, things you're not proud of, just do them. So you can be first, because if you ain't first, you're last. And we live our life like that. But Jesus tells them that that's not what it's about. We live in a world where we value relationships for what they can give us, friendships for the connections that we gain from that, and respect for the ability to use it to get people to do things for us. Check this out. I want us to track with this line together. We think greatness is measured by power in the form of strength, money, respect, reputation, or anything else that allows us to gratify our own desires and impose our will on others. But Jesus measures success, not by power, but by service. Jesus tells us that the greatest are the least totally upside down from the way that we're conditioned to believe and the way that the disciples were conditioned to believe. Jesus turns the structure of value upside down. He gives us a system where the more you give, the more you get. He tells us that whatever we lose in this life, we gain in the next one, that the greatest are the least, that the first are the last. It turns what we're taught to believe upside down. Now, this is not new news for anyone. 
right? We're conditioned for this. As a matter of fact, most of us have probably read this passage together multiple times. Mark 8, here's how it goes. Mark 8, 34, 37, should be right there with you. Uh, Jesus says this, calling the crowd to him, that's Jesus, calls the crowd to him, with his disciples, Jesus said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit for a man to gain the whole world and to forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? We know this, we hear this, we know that this is what Jesus has called us to, but I find in my life, look, Paul said, one of the greatest men of all time, the apostle Paul said, I'm the chief among sinners, right? So if he's the chief among sinners, I can argue with Paul, he's more respectful than me. I'm like the vice chief, right? Like number two, I sit in the back and I'm just like, hey, me too. Like I, I do not have my life together. None of us are gonna pretend to have our life together in this room, right? That's why I love this place. These are great people in this room who say, look, we are, we are all in process. We're trying to figure this out. But I live my life totally opposite to this sometimes. I think I've gotta get what I can, I've got to cushion myself financially and socially so that if things do turn south or I ever need anybody to pull me out of anything, then I've got these connections and I can call these favors. I can tell these people, hey, you remember when I did this thing for you? Yeah, okay, well, now I need you to do this thing for me. We have these systems that, that build us this comfort that in some seasons are great. When that's in rich community and the context of family and people that you live your life with who love you, coworkers that value you, neighbors that you love. We love each other not for what we can get from them, but for who we are with them, right? This is a place that values intentional community and is his people. We should be people who don't want to exploit for our gain, but who want to bless for who he is. I, I think uh, a lesson that really helped me think about this whenever I was thinking about this through the week and how to convey it was a, uh, a fable, a story that used to teach rooms of adults like this that we've turned into a children's story, which is a great children's story. It's a story of the tortoise and the hare. And the tortoise and the hare, which for my convenience, I'll say rabbit and turtle. I know the difference between a tortoise and a hare. I spend a surprising amount of time in the woods for someone who wears tight pants. I'm familiar with nature. <laughs> I'm familiar with nature. <laughs> I'm kind of <laughs> watch Animal Planet, a hunt, whatever, cool. Um, I have family here, they'll testify. Anyway, so we're, we're telling a story about a rabbit and a turtle, right? So the tortoise and the hare, you guys know how this goes. So the, the tortoise, obviously slow. The hare, fast. He brags about how fast he is. They have an argument of sorts, which is appropriate, an argument about who's the best, right? Okay, there we go, we're coming full circle here. The tortoise and the hare, you guys know how this story goes. The hare takes off, right? Tremendous lead over this tortoise who's slow, because it's a turtle. So. The hare gets far enough in advance and he says, okay, yeah, dude, I'm probably good. I'm just gonna chill. I'm so much better than this tortoise. He's never catching up. I'm just gonna lay down and I'm gonna take a nap. In modern context, the hare would probably say something like, I'm gonna check Facebook. And then he'd be like three dog video shares later and, and like four, like if you love Jesus, comment if someone needs Jesus, keep scrolling past if you want Satan to have your soul forever. It's like, <laughs> it's like where do those even come from, right? <laughs> Woof, things get really quick. Uh, so, so he's the hare chilling out, probably on Facebook. <coughs> what happens? He looks up and the tortoise, the turtle, is almost at the finish line. So the hare gets up, locks his iPhone, puts it in his pocket, runs, tries to get to the finish line, doesn't get there in time, 
tortoise wins. Now, what's the moral that we usually give for our children, right? Slow and steady wins the race, which is great. I think it's really appropriate. As someone who works with adolescents and people who are becoming who they are, you tell people to get in their lane and stay in their lane and be who they are and that eventually everything will even out. Just true, right? I think that's very true. I think the lesson for us as people who like to perceive themselves as the dominant party, right? People who are the greatest, the best, that it's our aspiration to be the most. I think in our abilities, we lose confidence in the system that we know is true, right? We believe that we're good enough to get what we need on our own. I can live my life well enough to where it doesn't matter if the first are gonna be last. I mean, I'm gonna be somewhere in the middle, right? Like, it's fine, I'm gonna enjoy this life. I'm probably gonna be good enough to, you know, like be somewhere in the middle afterwards. When things go south, I wanna have enough around me to where I really don't have to depend on the Lord because I patted my, my pockets well and I prepared myself for disaster. And I think those things are appropriate, right? Is where people who, who wanna be good stewards of what God's given us and protect our family and do our work unto the Lord. All those things are great things whenever we do those things with good intent. What's good intent? To honor Jesus with our life. But when we do those things for ourselves, when we're trying to be first, when we're trying to be the greatest, we lose sight of reality. For us, we know that to be first, you're last. That Jesus has called us to live a life that we live for others. To follow Jesus as a life to live for other people. We still store up in barns where moth and rust destroy. We value treasure and we tend to use people and love things instead of loving people and using things. Yeah, that's not my line. I wish it was, right? We still seek to be the greatest by our own standards as if our values find in the eyes of people instead of in the eyes of the Lord. A call to follow Jesus is a call to live for more than just yourself. Now, Jesus, being who he was, loving people, loving us, knowing that people would follow him after the people who were in that room, gives us a tangible example of what it looks like to be last and the servant of all. The next half of that passage goes like this. Jesus took a child and he put them in the midst of them. And taking the child in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one such a child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not only me, but him who sent me. Now, children, usually whenever we hear the story, we think, okay, Jesus loves the little children. True, very true. This is usually whenever I try to convince you to work in children's ministry or hold a baby in preschool, do that too. So that's usually where it stops, and it's like, go, don't, don't be selfish, go, cool. In the first century world, Children were often marginalized. Children were thought of as what they could give instead of what they could get. Today, when we meet a person and we kind of have the first initial conversations, we eventually want to know, where did you grow up? What was your family like? Have you always wanted to do whatever you're doing today? We ask questions about formative years and formative experience. In the first century world, not a reality. Children were not really valued they were just objects to be given to things. There was a Greek saying that went like this. It said that morning sleep 
midday wine, chattering with children, and tarrying in places where men of the common people assemble, destroy a man. So this was for a man who was trying to build his, his career, notoriety in society, be a respectable classical Greek man. Hanging out with kids or showing interest to children was equivalent with sleeping the day away, getting drunk in the morning, and chilling out with your bros all day, not working. Those things were seen, they were all on the same page, seen as how to destroy a life or waste potential. Children, not important in the first century world. For the original readers of Mark who had understood that and the way that we can, after knowing those things, see this passage again with new eyes, we can see that by Jesus taking up a child, showing interest in caring for a child, spending time with, investing, showing affection to a child that was not his, would have identified himself as the lowest and least servant of all. The disciples had this conversation about who was the greatest. They were status seeking. They wanted to be known. They wanted to be celebrated. And Jesus in stark contrast said, to be the greatest, you do the things that are unnoticed. You take your preferences Sometimes your ambitions, you put them to the side to love people in a way where it might not get you celebrated like these things would. So for us to live our life is to give our life. As Jesus gives that example of how to be last, I think there are two ways that we can be last appropriately in our lives. One is in our daily living, and second is in our directed service. In our daily living and in our directed service, we're called to be last in the servant of all, the least in the servant of all. Our daily living, we all have lives. We go to work, we stay home, we have kids, we don't have kids, we go to school. We are all people who interact with other people. And Jesus tells us in those interactions to honor him with the way we live our life. How? Like this. Philippians 2. It'll be on the screen. A passage that really paints a picture of how we're supposed to live our life in response to who Jesus is. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus, who in nature being God, the fullness of God is how that's expressed, meaning 
not that he's unequal with God in some way, but that Jesus existed in perfection, right, in heaven. In the beginning, whenever things were created, God was eternally satisfied, eternally enjoying company with himself. God didn't need us because he got bored. He made us so that he could receive more glory. We don't occupy God's time. We're not that important. But God has always been existing in himself perfectly, joyfully, eternally. But when he made us, he gave us a way to live our life. And we chose not to do that, right? We do things that we call sins. And this world is a world of sin. What is sin? Sin is doing things that God has commanded us not to do and not doing things God has commanded us to do. Sin. The Bible tells us we all sin. No one's second, second place chief of sinners right here, this guy. We all sin, right? We've been over that. But Jesus loved us too much to leave us the way we were out of fellowship with him, out of community with him, out of his plan, out of his purpose, separated from him here and set to be separated from him forever and eternity. But he loved us too much to do that. So what do you do? He emptied himself is what it says. He took on the form of a man. He came to this place that is tough to live in, that is very different from the perfection that's promised in heaven. Why? so that we could know him, so that we could have a relationship with him, and so that we could be, we could have a full life in him, a life of meaning and purpose, a life that counts, where we know that life's not gonna be perfect all the time, but in the days where it's not perfect, those are the days where we need him. In the days where they are seemingly perfect, those are good gifts from him. Our life in him is what he came to give us. He gave up everything so that we could have everything. And Philippians 2 tells us that that's the way we're supposed to live our life. That we would give up everything. That we would, that we would check our preference at the door with people. That we would not be about our agenda, but that we would be about other people. That we wouldn't be about making ourselves greater, but that we would be about making people our priority. It's an upside down way to look at life but it's the life that Jesus came here to give us. We do what he did. We check our preferences at the door and we love people. We're in the world. We have jobs and families, friendships. In those things, how are we last? How are we the servant of all? We don't only think of ourselves, but we think of others. We count others more significant than ourselves. We don't look only to our own interests, but to the interests of others. And then in directed service, as we do our daily living in the natural rhythms of our life, the places we are, in our directed service, we're people who fight <coughs> for the oppressed, for people who uh, don't have as much as us, for people who have been wronged by systems. Let's check out Matthew 25 uh, in our directed service. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I'm thirsty, I need drink. Hey, look at that. How, thank you so much. This is, this is the real MVP right here. This is the real MVP. Asking you shall receive, right? There you go. Hey, look at that. Um, 
Wow. I need to pay him too. Uh, Matthew 25, here we go. Uh, For when I was hungry, you gave me food. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. When I was a stranger, you welcomed me. And when I was naked, you clothed me. When I was sick, you visited me. When I was in prison, you came to me. And then the righteous will answer to him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king, Jesus, will answer to them, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Jesus calls us to be a people who take up the cause of the marginalized and the oppressed, to seek the benefit of those who can't benefit themselves and seek to right oppression and oppressive systems. As we sin, this world is a sinful place. It's not perfect. We see the consequences of that. We know that things aren't the way they should be. People who should eat don't. People who should be well-educated are not. People who should have families do not. People who should be free in a modern 21st century world are in slavery. And people who, by their own accord, sometimes have landed themselves in compromising situations need to be fought for. So whether it's someone who's in an oppressive system of their own choosing or not, as Jesus's people, it's our responsibility to fight for them, to take up their cause, and to give our life to the least of these. Like Jesus took up the child for those disciples, they knew this is a life that you want me to live a life that matters, that fights for the people who can't fight for themselves. When we live our life this way, we live a life of sacrifice, but Jesus tells us that a life given away is a life gained. Check this out. Jesus tells us that when we are people who give freely, we're people who live fully. When we give freely, we live fully. In our relationships, our family, our work, our neighbors, our daily living, I pray we're people who give freely. I pray that we're people who don't only look to our own interests, but look to the interest of others. And that we would be a people of directed service. That we would see that the world is not like it should be. And that we would be people who want those people to know Jesus, to love Jesus. Why do we do this? Why would we check our preferences at the door Why would we not try to be the king of our own castle? Why would we not make our life about us, right? Why? Because he has given us so much. What God has done for us, taking our sin away, giving us full life here today with him and eternal life with him here to come, and those things motivate us 
to give our life to others, to live our life for other people. Instead, so often, we waste our time arguing with ourselves, with God, with those around us about who's the best and who's the greatest. But I pray that we're a place where we would give freely and live fully, live fully in who God has made us to be and give freely to the people around us. Freely give our preferences, freely give our time, our talent, and our treasure to love people so that they can love Jesus. As Josh comes back on the stage and we begin to move into a time where we consider what God has for us. Let's pray together. And I pray that we're a people who live our life for who he is and for what he's done. Let's pray.